This is The Shift Podcast. Bruce Claggett in for Shane Hewitt today on The Shift Daily Podcast. When do our beliefs define our personality? On the world of the weird things with Greg Fish, we dig into why people believe what they do and how social media exploits their fears and their anger. Are you okay with UFOs and AI Beatles songs? And speaking of the Beatles, are they overrated? Shiftheads and the crew get into the most influential, underrated, and beloved bands. All that coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Oh, Greg, it's uh, good to be able to talk with you again. Got to start with this one, though. Why do we believe what we believe in the age of disinformation? Thoughts behind this one, Greg? So this one is really more about uh, hearing people say, you know, it feels like I, I can talk to people and I can argue with people and I can debate with people, but just nothing sinks in. It's like I'm talking to a brick wall every time. And why, how, how is this happening? Like, is it, what, is it the phones? Is it the social media? Like, is it the politics? What's going on? So this was really kind of a way of me trying to answer that question after talking to a number of experts on the subject, after reading some literature on the subject, um, that shows that, believe it or not, when you confront people with facts and say, hey, you're wrong, they actually tend to double down on their beliefs almost reflexively and ultimately kind of just following it where um, this particular trail leads. So this is this is really what, what this particular article is all about. You know, it's interesting. I often wonder if there are people that have a surface belief that they always argue, and then deep down inside them, something that says, I might not be entirely sure or up on my facts. Do they actually know sometimes that they are giving disinformation? Or, you know, when we talk about even some of the radical people that really get out there with their stories being so far out of the norm, do they actually believe it? So that's going to depend on the person. That is very difficult to generalize. I would say that there's different groups. There's definitely people who they have the surface level belief and it's kind of become part of their identity. You know, this particular worldview, this particular belief system, they've internalized it so much. They've listened to it so much. They're like, this is, yes, this is part of who I am. But inside there's always the goes, really? Is this, is this really who I am? Is this really what I believe? And they don't want to seem like weak if you confront them and they back down then there's people who have internalized this and then that's it they're they're true believers that nothing is going to change their minds only they can change their own minds from this point on and you're basically wasting oxygen uh, <laughs> and then there are and then there are people who are very extreme on the outside but inside they know that they're lying and they're really just doing it for money they're you know the the especially the far right influencers there's definitely far left influencers out there um but they don't tend to be as successful because when you're when you're talking about more more liberal movements and more liberal parties there tends to be a lot more variation uh it's a lot less homogenous 
demographically, belief-wise, there's a much wider spectrum. So it's much more difficult to be quite as successful. Whereas um, when you're talking about far-right conspiracy theories, there's more homo- uh, homogeneity. Hom- homogen- you know what? I'm going to yeah, stop okay, trying to say that word. Uh, there's There are more commonalities uh, in terms of beliefs, in terms of um, demographics, in terms of ethnographics. Um, they have a lot more. They have a lot more in common, so it's a lot easier to have a wider target. So that's where you tend to have all these very apocalyptic, almost cult-like doomsday prophecies about how things are going to go bad and how everyone's out to get you. And that's really just more for money. It's more for attention. That you know, watch my show, subscribe to my. Uh, subscribe to my Substack, buy the merch that I advertise on my podcast. They don't believe any of it. There's very few in those movements who are actually true believers. It's all for show. It's all for profit. I can understand that with the content generators doing it for profit or doing it to get an audience. But what about the followers, the readers, the viewers, the listeners? When they consume that, they are actually believing it, even though they're being sold a bill of goods by somebody that doesn't believe it, as you say, or just wants to make money out of it. The others that do consume that information get behind it and really feel strongly about it. What is their motivation? Do we find that there is something there when it comes to maybe belonging? It's partially, yes, it is belonging, but the really big aspect of it is that we live i know that the people keep saying we live in unprecedented times because i mean it is kind of true it's never yes people have went through a lot of changes um in terms of societal change technological change i mean people went from uh from the very first flight very first fixed fixed wing heavier than air flight to landing on the moon in 70 years but now we're going back to the moon we have AI. We're trying to. We're, we're planning to colonize the solar system at, in in the lifetime of some people who are who have been born. They're they're alive today. So like the the world is really picking up speed, and there's not a lot of place for a lot of people. We haven't really figured out where everybody goes yet. Um, and a big part of that is because a lot of the politicians who are in charge of the world right now simply don't understand the changes. They don't understand that this is actually a priority. This is something that needs to happen, that that they need to do. So there's a lot of people who feel very much adrift. Um, and because the world is so complicated and because the rules are changing all the time and because we're still trying to kind of figure figure things out that the the good old fashioned uh, the new world struggles to be born so now is the time of monsters thing really applies um giving people something much simpler to grab onto especially when it comes to conspiracy theories that gives them that sense of purpose that gives them that sense of belonging it gives them some sense of agency you know uh i can for example you have the so-called digital soldiers of of qanon instead of just basically sitting there and hoping that the politicians who they voted into office will figure things out in a way that's palatable to them. Oh, they're now information warriors fighting the deep state. Now they're basically just, you know, 
crap posting on Twitter and that's basically it. But doesn't it sound a little bit more grand? Doesn't it sound like they have the secret hidden knowledge and they're actually doing something with their lives? So that helps a lot. And then the other thing is when you deal with very extreme political movements, they tend to have very, very simple worldviews. You know, this is who you vote for. These are the bad people. These are the good people. There's not a lot of you don't have to ask a lot of questions. You don't have to think a lot about where your worldview is going to be. You don't have to challenge yourself a lot. And it can be really, really comforting. Um, and also, again, that makes you a fantastic target for grifters in that particular extreme movement because they already know exactly how to pull on your heartstrings yeah. and then to pull on your wallet. But because you're making an identity around it, because you're going around and you're advocating all this stuff, because you're telling people about this, when you have to admit that you're wrong, it now is a lot more public because the, because social media is involved. Because you see, in the past, there were all of these gatekeepers and all of these organizations that basically you 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 know you send them a big screed about how the world is ruled by uh, reptile aliens who eat human flesh, and they would say, "Hmm, another one." Okay throw that in the trash and pretend that we've never seen it. And you didn't have to discuss it. You could just be wrong in private. But now with social media, with everything driven by outrage and by engagements and by algorithms and by rumor and by um, by people professing all of these things in public, you're now losing face by saying, you know what, guys, I was wrong. Um, I, I, yeah, I just... I was I'm not really sure what I was doing, but really this is more like here's the the mainstream narrative is probably not too crazy different from the truth. Um that there's a lot of there's a lot of lost face there. There is, and as we talked about, uh the double down comes into that. By the way, we're talking with Greg Fish, world of weird things.com. You know, Greg, uh, one thing I have noticed, especially when it comes to extreme politics or extreme views on things that may exist that most of us would say they don't really exist. There is a commonality when it comes to how they discredit the authorities or the academics. And this comes from an old marketing thing that was around in commercials years ago. It's going to sound familiar to many people. And it is that notion of here is the secret that they don't want you to know. They could be the medical profession, they could be government, they could be academics, or anything. Did you come across that at all? Oh yeah, that, that happens all the time. Um, and I can tell you this, if you ever deal with an academic, there is no secret that they don't want you to know. Academics will literally never shut up about what they're working on. If you give them a chance, they will never stop telling you about what they're working on. Broadcasters um, too. Yeah, exactly. It's it, there's not a lot of incentive to keep those secrets. But the problem is that when you start dealing with actual research, actual experts, there's a lot of times there's not a lot of great solutions. So, for example, someone will come will can come to me and say, "Hey, I want an AI that would be able to do all these things but also never take a job." Like it would never replace the job, and I, I don't know how to do that. Like I'm, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I have to like go away for a really long time and try and figure this out. And some part of it is going to be like, well, you're going to have to have some sort of a government mandated fund 
where people have to research what you can do and pay for your retraining. And then all of a sudden it doesn't sound like this, you know, I have this awesome secret. And if you just do the thing that I tell you, everything will be solved. Uh, most real academics and experts, uh, we tend to be pretty cautious about things because that kind of just gun ho. Yeah, we know everything is beaten out of us very viciously when we're in grad school. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nothing then, like yeah, defending a thesis, is there? No, no, there really isn't. Because I, I remember the first thing is I, I, I would say, yes, I know this for a fact. And my professors would go, really, you know this for a fact. In the entire universe, you're 100% sure that this is how this is. There, there's, there can never be a case where you're wrong, right? So they kind of, it, so that's kind of really instilled in you. So that doesn't sound very assuring for people who want quick and easy answers now. So that's when you hit them with the secret. That's when you, oh, I know, I know the things that they won't tell you because they're afraid or because someone's intimidating them or because they made a deal with the aliens or, or whatever. It sounds, it sounds much more confident. So people want to go for that. And again, they go for it. They start sharing it on Facebook. They start sharing on Twitter. Their friends see it. They start talking about it in person. And now all of a sudden, if they ever have to go back on their word. And then the other big problem that, that we should definitely note. Uh, well, actually, there's two big problems uh, that we need to definitely know that are kind of unique right now. The first one is that when you have people leaning into extreme beliefs, some of the things that they profess, some of the things that they talk about are just objectively bad and evil, and there's no getting around that. And it's really not very possible. It's not really possible to just let bygones be bygones if they say, you know what, never mind. I, I'm going to renounce all of these beliefs because it, there's there was a uh, there was a tweet slash joke that's been going around and i don't know who the original author is because it was reposted mm. so often yeah. but it was basically like this if you if you take a vote on what to have for dinner and five of your friends vote to have pizza and two of your friends vote to kill and eat you you still have a problem even then even though pizza won if one of your friends is all of a sudden saying things like you know what Maybe we should kill all gay people or something incredibly extreme like that starts it, it, because this is unfortunately like that's that's not like a thing that you don't hear nowadays. You have people who are like all in on like actual 1930s style fascism. The might makes right. There are groups that are better than other groups and those groups must subjugate the, all the other, like, like these are the kind of beliefs that they're espousing. So if they say, you know what? I was never really into that. No, 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 no. You were basically plotting mass murder and genocide at my dinner table before I told you to leave. I don't think there's rescue for this for this particular relationship. Yo, so well, in romantic relationships, we call that gaslighting. Well, I, I think in, in the proper romantic relationship with that would be former or a romantic relationship. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so there's people who go off deep ends that are really you can't really walk back from so that's so that's that definitely makes things very very difficult uh and then the other problem that you end up having is that when people make these sorts of things their identity they have to be the ones to walk back 
from it themselves because you are not going to get to them. You basically have to play therapist and it's exhausting. Everyone has to become a therapist to deprogram their friends or their relatives who are off of that deep end. And that is an exhausting work that a lot of people are not necessarily prepared to do. So those are two fairly unique problems right now that I and would I, say Greg, uh, are, are, are facing, uh, that we're facing in all of this. Absolutely. And I want to pick up on that latter one that you're talking about. Are we becoming kind of lazy? We don't want to bother debunking some things that really should be debunked and called out? It's not that we're lazy, and I, I, I would definitely say that we're uh, that it's very much the opposite of that. There's a lot of people out there who spend their entire days debunking stuff. It's just that it is become so much harder because it drowns under the massive volume of noise. Because social media removed the gatekeepers that we were just talking about ten minutes ago, and those gatekeepers were not perfect. A lot of them needed to go because at some point they definitely blocked new and interesting ideas and new and interesting topics, um, but they were replaced with literally nobody and other than algorithms by large social networks. And when people asked large social networks, well, how are you going to how are you going to guarantee that no one crazy is basically going to hijack your algorithms and just pump tons of conspiracy theorists, theories and hate and bigotry and, and incitement for domestic terrorism down people's throats? They said, well, I mean, the users can say they don't like it. I don't know. Stop bothering us. We're trying to make some money here. So they've replaced this, this order, this quality control that we had with nothing and we haven't really figured out what to do about that. We haven't really figured out an alternative. So now what gets clicks and what gets people all riled up is what gets noticed and not the actual fact checks. So it has nothing to do with laziness is that people are basically outmatched and outshouted by the sheer torrent of crap that can make its way through the information networks before a fact check can even be written. You know, Greg, the big question comes up for many of us, especially right now when we talk about AI. What is a truth? What is a fact? What is the right data? And when we start talking about machine learning, are we really going to be able to source things that are clean and in fact factual? Or does this play into a bit of a danger when it comes to AI? Oh, that's a that could fill a whole other 20 minutes. Oh, it easily. can, but let's uh, get it down into two. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Uh, so the short answer is no. AI is only as good as the information that you put into it. Um, so it's already not very accurate, uh, and, and pretending otherwise would be silly. And then the more AI content is out there and it's being used, and the more AI scrapes it, the worse it's going to get. So relying on AI for any sort of truth or objectivity simply doesn't work because um, what is truth and objectivity in certain things? Because yeah, two plus two is four. Okay, yeah, that's objectively true no matter what. What is the best rate for capital gains tax in order to boost GDP and how much, how much should the GDP be boosted? 
okay, um, there's not an objective truth to that. That's a very complicated question that depends on a million different factors. And it may also depend on exactly when you ask and what the future trends are going to be. So it, it, it all depends on the complexity of the question. It depends on uh what the question entails and the context of the question. Uh, and it also really depends on what people want to accept as truth, because you can train an AI to essentially lie to people for money, or you can tell it to lie because you really believe the lies. It's, this is not, this is not an easy, uh, this is really not an easy thing that you can just automate. And, and that's really the, that's really the thing. Um, when you're dealing with things that people want to believe, when you're dealing with confirmation bias, when you're dealing with people's identities, all you can do is hope that you're going to steer people towards sanity by essentially saying, look how crazy this particular worldview is. Look how these people who are who fallen for these very extreme politics, who've fallen for these very extreme beliefs, look how miserable they're making themselves, questioning literally everything. Uh, things that used to bring them joy are now another sign of like this deep conspiracy. Isn't it just horrible to spend your entire life looking over your shoulder for another thing out to get you? Isn't just being kind of like a little bit more reasonable and in the middle and and just more skeptical and and more open that maybe things aren't horrible and not everybody's out to get you isn't that just great like guy a better i'm way almost guessing it? that you've said that before uh i might have i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> i might have said it on this show a number of times but yeah, that's 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 really basically what it is. It, the only way that you can kind of get people moving in a different direction is to is to do the contrast and say, do you really just want to poison everything in your life, or do you want to have some bright spots left? Greg, there is so much interesting stuff here when it comes to information disinformation. Thanks for sharing these thoughts. I know there are more deep conversations that could be had about this. By the way, if you want to take a look at what Greg is talking about, you can go to worldofweirdthings.com and the article is, Why Do We Believe What We Believe in the Age of Disinformation? Greg Fish, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, mm-hmm, and the very first one here, are you okay with UFOs? Never seen one, never, <laughs> never, uh, never, never had an interaction with an alien, never had a weird thing in the night sky that I couldn't explain. I do, however, enjoy a good alien movie, good alien show. Can't go wrong. And, you know, I like, I think, you know, I was watching some Neil deGrasse Tyson last night after the show, and he was talking about the sheer scale of the universe, you know, the billions and trillions of planets that we haven't even found yet. And I'm pretty sure there's at least one of them that's got a little green dude with big eyes and a giant forehead. Like, it just has to be. Have they ever been here? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, Jonathan is uh, nodding his head, though. Um, what do you think? I think the idea of UFOs is, uh, 
it's really mysterious because every time you see those pictures, they're either really grainy or really blurry. Let alone, I watched that Jordan Peele movie, Nope. Yeah, right? And uh, there's a scene in that movie that still traumatizes me because I saw it in IMAX. And let alone that scene still traumatizes me till this day. You know, the, the one thing that I have to say is when it comes to UFOs, unidentified flying objects, that means do you believe that uh, there are things up in the sky that you don't have an answer for? Yep, obviously, lots of them. But I'll tell you a weird story. And it's a short story, but a weird story. Working at uh, this radio station many years ago, one night we had a whole bunch of phone calls into the newsroom. And it was from the North Shore of North, uh, Vancouver, North Vancouver. Everyone, and you knew that they're different, they weren't talking to each other. Everyone that phoned in was talking about this object that was hovering up above these houses on the North Shore. And it wasn't one call, it wasn't two, it was probably half a dozen or more. And the first one you laugh off, the second one you think, oh, this is kind of odd. But when you get so many, you start to wonder, what are they talking about? So by call number six, I start asking a whole bunch of questions. What are you seeing? Oh, it's, uh, it's like an object and it's got an arm that's coming down to my backyard. It's all lit up and it's like it's searching for my dog in the backyard because it wants to eat it. Really? Uh, do you think it's a helicopter maybe just flying over? To, no, it's not a helicopter. There's no sound whatsoever. Mm. Finally, we phoned up uh, the Vancouver Tower. They did a little bit of investigating at the Vancouver airport. It turns out it was a blimp for one of the phone companies, mobile phone companies, that was going on a sightseeing tour just after sunset. That's all it was. Just but it was a UFO to them. So quite often there are these explanations. So, yeah, I don't know. Not LGM, little green men, but UFOs. I believe in UFOs until we find an answer. How's this for a story? There is a long-running joke that every single UFO sighting happens in the United States. But this UFO sighting is pretty darn convincing as it happened in... Party town right now, Las Vegas. Las Vegas police investigated a 911 call about a mysterious object falling from the sky. And uh, not all human creatures walking around a family's backyard, according to the video... Police reports obtained by the local news outlets also back this up. Police body camera, camera footage released last week shows the officers speaking with seemingly rattled residents just after about midnight on May 1st, following some 911 calls. It's almost midnight on May 1st when a Las Vegas Metro Police officer's body cam catches this, something flashing low in the sky. 911 emergency. Minutes later. There's a, there's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one's inside, and it has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. Someone calls 911 reporting two large figures in their backyard. Uh, no, I'm still nervous right now. The 8 News Now investigators obtaining another officer's video as he sent to the Northwest Valley home. I have butterflies, bro. Everyone saw a shooting star, then these people say there's aliens in their backyard. By now, it's more than an hour after that bright light. Officers meeting up with the caller and his family. What'd you see? It was like a... Like a big creature. A big creature? Yeah, like a long testing top. I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's yeah. why I'm kind of curious. 
Kind of curious, yeah. That, mm-hmm. By the way, from 8 News Now, what do you make of that? I mean, so there's you have to be careful when you watch the video because there is police. Like if you find if you go watch the news report from News 8, uh, you'll see the actual video, which it looks like something falls out of the sky, uh, which could be anything. Of course, it happens. It, it's pitch black. And that's that's it. There's no footage of a creature or anything like that. However, there have been people that are photoshopping the image and editing it to make it seem even more convincing. I actually, when I was putting the story together, I found a uh, a full on uh, fact check from Reuters on it. So this one is interesting because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, this footage is good. I'm going to make it better. And I wonder how much how many UFO sightings have a little bit of a dose or a sprinkle of that kind of editing to make it more convincing than it actually is. It's a game that's been played for years. It's just the tools of the game have become ever so slightly better, I think. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, did you see this or hear about this one? No, I haven't even heard of this. This is this is this story is all new to me. I haven't heard anything about this. You know, the funny thing for me is also that it is happening in Vegas. Uh, I don't know why I find that funny, but uh, you know, Vegas no, has got it would a be Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vegas has got a long tradition with the unexplained. Um, so there you go. Let's move on. Are you okay with? Are you okay with Exorcists? Hmm. Oof! I love that movie so much. When I was in high school. I was trying to force myself into getting into horror movies. And so I watched a horror movie every single day in October, 31 horror movies. And I saved the exorcist for last. And I, I had never seen it before. And you know, I'm all, my confidence is all high. I've watched all these spooky movies and I'm, I'm fine. I've seen, you know, Freddy Krueger do his thing and Jason Voorhees. And then I watched the exorcist and it gave me chills. Despite the fact that this movie's from the seventies, I, finished that film and went, oof, I am in no rush to watch that again. Not because it's bad, but because it was so good, it actually scared me properly. And uh, I don't know, to this day, it's still one of those movies that just, it's it, it's special for all the right and, and spooky reasons. It's well done. Cinematography plays into it. It is a masterpiece in its own way. Jonathan, have you seen it? No, actually, I haven't seen any horror movies. Ever? Besides, what if do you, you mean? Ever? You, no horror movies. Like, what? Yeah, I haven't watched any horror movie. I've never, never seen a horror movie before. If you, you don't know, what? Well, no, nope. it, it's technically it's a horror. science fiction thriller. Yeah, but it's got a little nugget of horror in there. I think if you watch that, you could push yourself and watch something a little bit spookier. Oh well. Are you as scared? Like now we're peeling back the layers of the onion known as Jonathan Chung. Are you a little bit afraid? Like this is this surprises me. No, uh, I just, it's just that it doesn't really phase me to watch horror movies. I'm not like a big fan of it. I listen to a horror podcast because I just want things to be condensed on my commute home. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Well. Jono, I'm going to send you a list of some movies you need to watch. Where do we start with him? Yeah. Starting, I I think the first horror movie that anybody should ever watch is probably The Shining. Because you get a little bit of thriller, you get a little bit of the mind bending, and then you get a good dose of spookiness. I would go back to Alfred there, Hitchcock. Or, yeah, you, and you do get those some Hitchcock vibes in there. Like, Psycho is a great spooky movie, for sure. 
Well, it has been decades since The Exorcist came out, and it's still one of the spookiest movies, Ryan, as you say. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for, as a last resort, to try and save her. Oh, but this story is not from The Exorcist but it does sound kind of like something out of a horror movie itself. You see, a church in Wales was damaged after it was struck by a bolt of lightning over the weekend, and that bolt of lightning knocked a cross right off the wall. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. ITV spoke with locals who witnessed the storm, but their Welsh accent is a little bit thick here. The calm after the storm. It was torrential rain. And then thunder and lightning, golden menace. I was upstairs. I fetched my torch because we had the power went off. And all of a sudden, there was one, one hell of a bang. Hebron Chapel has been at the heart of the Rhell community for over a century and took a direct lightning strike. Shook the house, everything. Blue sockets and <laughs> then eventually I come out to see what's going on. And there was a big hole in the, in the wall. Bricks, halfway down the yard there, they were everywhere. Amazing that nobody got hurt. Locals here are just thankful no one was hurt and their houses were spared. And they're looking forward to getting Hebron repaired and open again. Yeah, OK, it seems obvious to me somebody cursed inside the church, but uh, mm -hmm. what do you think of this one? I mean, yeah, it's it does seem like something out of a horror movie. Uh, it's a pretty, the image, like there's no footage of the lightning hitting the chapel, but it looks like somebody took a rocket to the front of it. And uh, I, I can't imagine how loud that would have been. And uh, yeah, this is like, this doesn't happen in The Exorcist, but this exact thing could be in any horror movie involving demons. And it would be a good scene. In real life, though, there's no demons involved. It's just dumb luck and uh, makes for a great are you okay yeah you know what i think it's probably uh more likely to have been seen in the damien uh series uh one two or three damien omen um but uh there you go by the way the bricks from the chapel found over 40 meters away let's move on are you okay with are you okay with the beatles uh-oh i'm about to get in trouble I uh, I don't like the Beatles. I'm sorry. I'm I've sorry. Tried. I've I don't like the Beatles. I've I tried. could have sworn I've you said times. I don't like the Beatles. Yes, yes, I do not like the Beatles, Bruce. I like three Beatles songs. Okay, what are like, they? Don't let me down. I like that song a lot. It's a great song. I like Hey Jude because it's just a, it's a good, nice, yep. you know, kind of soft anthem, and uh, probably Come Together. Those are about three Beatles songs that I do enjoy. However. I love George Harrison's solo album. All, oh, I love yeah, okay. All Things Must Pass. Like, so it's weird. I just like, I don't know. When I listen to the Beatles, I think it's just the that particular foursome. For some reason, I, I don't really like Paul McCartney's voice. I can't stand it. What? I know. I know. See, I'm getting all, I can feel the laser pointers at my head right now. But I like John Lennon's voice. You see, now, you take tonight, just, just half a second here. Tonight is the night I find out a little bit more about Jonathan never watching a horror movie and uh, Ryan yeah, 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 not yeah, liking yeah. the Beatles. Yes. But but here's the thing. It's like, been a great night, I, folks. Good Bruce, night. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, 
before you completely write me off as hopeless, I love a lot of music from that decade. I've got a good, I think I've got a very good taste in music. And I will always, if anybody ever asks me about the Beatles, I will give them the same answer. I don't personally like them. However, music would be nowhere near what it is today without them. And they are probably the most important band in the history of music. I just personally couldn't bring myself to play any of their albums front to back without kind of going, eh, it's not for me. <laughs> okay. Rant over. Wow. Uh, by the way, you could text. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and and people will. Send us a text. Is Ryan uh, off his rocker? Um, Jonathan, <laughs> the Beatles. Um, I think they're they're a really good band. They're known to be in the history of music, one of the greatest bands ever. And in fact, Ringo Starr was a part of my childhood because I grew up watching Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah. And he did the voiceover work for Thomas the Tank Engine. So growing up watching it, I was introduced to Ringo Starr, and that's how I got into the Beatles. You know, as the years go on, I appreciate the Beatles more and more every year and every story I hear about them. And... The thing that, uh, first of all, the harmony. I mean, harmony is just magic, despite what Ryan says about Paul's voice. You put Paul and John together, and that harmony is just something that really is even admired by people uh, or bands that came later, like the Bee Gees, which were great with harmony. They look back at the Beatles and say, wow. Um, But uh, the harmony was great. The instruments, uh, every one of the people that uh, every one of the Fab Four was great at the instrument they played. And uh, the other one that really impresses me, and you can watch these on YouTube, back at a time when there wasn't as much editing or things like that, when you went to TV, it was live TV, they would nail live performances like no other band. And you can watch some of these live performances, and it's almost like they were coming out of a studio. That's just the tip of the iceberg, I think, when it comes to the Beatles. There's so much there, obviously prolific, obviously successful, obviously influential, and it depends on the day. You know, you couldn't even ask me what the best Beatles song is for me or even name the top five because it would change on depending upon the mood. But the Beatles, I think, are incredible with a lot of influence. Um, By the way, Ryan, uh, just one text that came in. Ryan, I think someone laced your stash with LSD. You're hallucinating. There you go. Um, But we we move on to the rest of this. The Beatles did release 12 albums, make that 13, thanks to the help of artificial intelligence. The Beatles are kind of, kind of getting back together again. Paul McCartney told the BBC that a new Beatles song is set to be released this year, and it will feature John Lennon's voice. If you need some proof of the concept, here's the song Banana Phone, performed by the Beatles, all thanks to AI. Yeah, there you go. Well, all thanks to AI. 
And according to the outlet, McCartney was given one of Lennon's uh, demos by Yoko Ono, and it was recorded on a cassette labeled For You, Paul, which was reportedly recorded not long before John Lennon's death. Well, there you go. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, AI, power of it again. McCartney said that uh, when director Peter Jackson was making his 2021 docuseries, which I have yet to see, I understand you have seen it, Ryan. Uh, yeah, I actually watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah me, which the is guy strange. Who like the Beatles, I watched it. It's because Peter Jackson directed okay. it and made Lord of the Rings, and also <laughs> uh, they shall not be forgotten. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Though, yeah, we break. will. Yeah, because we're yeah. getting to a point with this. But the Beatles get back. The production team was able to separate Lennon's voice from the backgrounds uh, using AI, and the same technology enabled McCartney to duet virtually with Lennon. McCartney did. Not name the new song, but it is likely to be a 1978 Lennon composition called Now and Then, which was included at the demo cassette. Right on it. McCartney described AI technology as kind of scary. I can't do his voice. Kind of scary, but exciting. Adding, we will just have to wait and see where it leads. This is the Shift Podcast. And yeah, I'm this many years old uh, today. Today, many years old. When I found out something about Ryan O'Donnell, he thinks the Beatles are, eh, you know, doesn't have much of a opinion uh, as to, does not believe that they're great, although he does recognize great things about them. But we found out a little bit more about him. And uh, plenty of reaction, by the way, to Ryan's comments about uh, that. And also the revelation from Ryan O'Donnell that Paul McCartney's voice is not that great, uh, which is kind of interesting. We're going to get Ryan some night to uh, sing all those songs in the way that they should be sung and to hear what it really should sound like. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't want that. No, uh, well, maybe, you know, as I always say, and I can't sing at all, but uh, as I say to my family when they cringe when I do sing, um, you know, every artist brings their own interpretation to a cover, and that could be you. Um, but uh, let's talk about uh, some of the the things that uh, we do like. If we're to come up with those Beatles songs first, you mentioned that there are three of them, Ryan. Mm-hmm. The three that you mentioned again are? Uh, Don't Let Me Down. Okay, yeah. Come Together. And uh, kind of an obligatory, yeah, that's kind of a fun song to uh, uh, Hey Jude. I also uh, enjoy, I think it's off Abbey Road something. I think that's off Abbey Road. Let me double check. Yes, it's off Abbey Road. I okay. remember hearing that song in the car one time. I was like, "Oh, that's not bad." And here's the thing: like, I've I've tr- I've listened to each Beatles album at least once, like a long time ago, and kind of went meh. And I haven't really revisited since. So maybe, just maybe, I'll uh, throw an album on over the next couple of weeks and see if it's it kindles something. I'm not enthusiastic about it, but it might. It might. It might indeed. You know, a lot of music, and I've said this before, it uh, depends upon the time you heard them and um, what that invokes as a memory. For me, 
Uh, I do remember going to kindergarten in the back of a uh, 69 uh, Barracuda, Chrysler Barracuda, Plymouth, and uh, listening to the Beatles on 8-track and remembering some of those songs and just remembering the time. And for me, that reason, uh, some of those ones uh, stand out. You know, uh, we got John in Calgary that sent us a tweet, and he said the best song ever is Maxwell Silver's Hammer. For me, five-year-old me in the back of that Barracuda, listening to that song off 8-track, absolutely have to agree. In fact, uh, there's a little funny blurpy thing at the end that uh, me and my next-door neighbor used to kind of uh, sing together when we were five, we thought was funny, but it was that song, and it's from that memory. Jonathan, uh, when it comes to the Beatles, uh, favorites? I would say Fool on Hill. And Why? Well, there's a there's a good cover of it. It's done by um, the older brother of uh, Grammy Award winning singer Billie Eilish. Her brother Phineas did a cover called uh, "A Fool on the Hill." He recorded it at Abbey Road Studios, and I have it saved on my phone. And it's considered, in my opinion, one of the best covers of it. And it's just minimalistic because there's no other um, instruments. It's just a piano. Oh yeah. Okay. And uh, when they, you see, that's the thing about the Beatles. They did play around a lot with different things. And uh, they're jokesters, even amongst themselves. And some things worked, some things didn't. Most of it did work. Um, By the way, when it comes to me, I I like it all, but for different reasons and at different times. But you mentioned Abbey Road, and Ryan mentioned Abbey Road. One of the engineers, a young guy that was on or in the studio working as an engineer, sound engineer for that, was a guy named Alan Parsons, who you might know from the Alan Parsons Project. Went on to uh, produce many things over the years in the 70s for other groups and uh, even folkish singers like Al Stewart. I had a chance by happenstance to bump into and meet Alan Parsons at Burning Man in uh, 2018. And uh, we had a little bit of a chat, and I found out a little bit more about him and the fact that Alan Parsons actually lived in North Vancouver for a time, way after uh, he worked with the Beatles. But, uh, you know, again, stories in life, right? Uh, Eleanor Rigby uh, got a text on that one. I can't exactly say why or give you a memory attached. I just always thought it was one of their bests. Eleanor Rigby for me, I completely agree. Also, Eleanor Rigby, the lyrics on that ended up for me in a poetry section in grade eight. And that's my first real introduction to the Beatles music as lyrics. And uh, the teacher uh, just handed these out and had us, you know, look at poems. Eleanor Rigby, the lyrics being one of the poems, and going through and uh, asking us what we thought it meant going through loneliness, a person going to a church, uh, just amazing stuff in there, really. Beatles played a big part in my life, and maybe it's because I'm in my 50s. Looking back at it now, I could just say, wow, yeah, it uh, just touched so many different areas and continues to do so. Which brings me to this, the three of us. If not the Beatles, what other music has inspired you or touched you in a way like we know the Beatles has touched so many other people. Let's do this. 
Let's uh, start with Ryan O'Donnell. Okay. Okay. Well, so this is tough because I listen to every every genre of music. I dabble in, in a little bit of everything. And so I've kind of got an answer for every genre. However, if I'm going to stick with kind of the the broad appeal of the Beatles, their long-term impact on pop music especially, I'm going to go with the Beach Boys. For me, Pet Sounds is the greatest album of the 1960s. It is one of the greatest albums ever made. And uh, I know somebody texted from Alberta, I believe, saying, you talk about harmonies, the harmonies on the Beach Boys. Exactly. Uh, that album means a lot to me for many different reasons. It's got connections to the summer camp that I used to go to. Yeah. There were nights that we would only play the Beach Boys. And then, you know, I'd watch the movie Love and Mercy about Brian Wilson and uh, him Great creating movie. the album. And also dealing with schizophrenia, yeah, uh, an unbelievable film, which you have to watch if you haven't seen it. But it's the understanding of just everything that goes into that uh, that album. And one thing that's really cool about the Beach Boys is that every single relationship I've ever had in my life, romantically, there's a song on that album that I think of if, for each of the relationships. Like all of them, all of these little moments in my life have songs related to them from this album so impact and inspiration i'm going there and i also love the crazy psychedelic route they went after uh, pet <laughs> yeah. sounds with good vibrations uh vegetables and love and misery i mean yeah amazing beach boys great choice and i would also have to say an influential band when it came to uh even people like elton john gives credit to the beach boys for some of the chords uh, being played and the way that they covered uh, the music with uh, with just there's a drop in the sound from major to minor on the cording of the keyboards and uh, Elton John uses it in his music and says oh yeah that's a uh, direct ripoff of Brian Wilson and I think oh okay that's kind of cool uh, all these people of course um, and the Beach Boys were part of that uh, Southern California music scene that uh, came right from the valley. And uh, wow, just incredible sound. Uh, Jonathan, yourself, uh, music that's inspired you or you take a look at and say, well, yeah, that's it. I would say, you know, progressive rock, kind of like uh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is a really good example of a band that, you know, I was introduced to in middle school and I have been following straight. I think The Wall is one of the greatest albums actually on a commute back home from, from CKNW. I listened to the entirety of The Wall from the beginning to the end of the album in one sitting. Yeah. And I was so immersed by it. I was like, whoa, this is like the greatest thing ever, especially with the mono sound coming in both headphones. I was like, whoa. Well, again, they played a lot with uh, with stereo and going stereo to, as you say, mono for different channels, uh, which the Beatles did too, by the way. Uh, kind of fun, I guess. You know, a lot of these musicians came up not really, uh, came up at a time when mono recordings were around. And to come into stereo, they, they played with it and it was kind of cool. Uh, but that's a great choice. Absolutely. I love that. For me, I would have to go with um, Tom Petty. I, I think Tom Petty, underrated artist, uh, when he passed, I was just absolutely devastated 
but uh, the sounds and just uh, what he did with music and lyrics and the time that his music came into my life in high school and some of the good times, uh, that was just incredible. Um, Live Like a Refugee was a, a great big song when I first was introduced to uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. But uh, wow, yeah, that's uh, that's big for me. And uh, Last Dance with Mary Jane, Mary Jane, that's uh, the song that I go to right now as the lead song on my uh, playlist, my summer jam for 2023 that I constructed. So uh, there you go. Um, but sticking with this, and I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't find out a little bit about ourselves in talking about the bands we think or the music choosing one that is completely overrated. Uh, just never got into it. Everybody else likes it. And for you, it just never worked. Oh, Ryan, I can see you're already smiling. You, This comes right to your mind. You've got one. So, so you want another overrated artist? Yeah, well, you don't me. hate the Beatles. Uh, this could even no, be a little no, bit stronger. Um, totally no. just, no, not your not your cup mm. of tea. That's it's it's okay. It's and Nickelback tough. doesn't count. Yeah, Nickelback doesn't count because I think there are bands that have really great eras and then really mediocre uh, eras. Uh, like uh, ACDC has really highs and really big lows. Uh, I know one that one that I can never get into is like Linkin Park and some of the that industrial stuff. For me, overrated. I do not understand any like new metal like limp biscuit really not corn i mean i'm sorry i just don't i don't understand how you can like listen to a song and then have somebody go mm, da, da, mm, in the song <laughs> how did like, they go know, in corn how did they I go just, mm, da, da, mm. like you know what song i'm talking about yeah. right have you heard that yeah, oh, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. right a twist so, right twist I, th- I think so uh but you know it's so it's a time capsule though like that that era of music, I was I had literally just been born. I missed it, and so I didn't experience it. And I think it's kind of cool. No, that song's "Freak on a Leash." That's the song that has the the uh, the, the scatting <laughs> in it. Yeah. Uh, but you know the uh, the it's just it it completely missed me. I never got into it. But the diehard fans are loyal to that genre, and they're usually very very nice people. And I understand why they like it. So I don't judge anybody that listens to it. I completely get it for me though. I just, I, I can't, it's just, I can't get you it. You just killed a whole genre. I, I was just asking for one band, but uh, it's hard to pick just like one band. I mean, like there's easy ones to pick on like Maroon five. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Maroon five is fantastic. And I will, I, I have to intercede there. I don't know why people pick on Maroon five. I went to, I've talked about this with Handy Andy, who goes to CES in Las Vegas every year. I went to CES one year and got invited to a private show by Maroon 5, me and about uh, 50 other journalists. And in a small space, hearing them up on stage, kind of like a small stage, just a rise in the floor, uh, it was fantastic. And what a great memory. Maroon 5, a big fan ever since. Hmm. That's fair. That's an amazing way to experience uh, them. I, I, you know, they're, they're early 2000s stuff. I used to like them. They were on the radio when I was a kid. 
you know, they got some good songs. It's just the stuff they do now where it's 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 that I, I yeah, can't okay. I can't do. But uh, no, that that's really cool though. You got to experience that on that small stage. Adam Levine, uh, I will give him props. There's a movie yep. Begin Again where he plays he's acts in it and he plays like a rising pop star and he has a song at the end of the movie called just uh just lost stars lost stars that is a fantastic song so yeah no 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 shade no big shame (laughs) okay jonathan overrated uh you're not into it others are um i i respect every single genre so i don't have any overrated but i think like right now a lot of people are are and and people in my generation are like, oh, you know, I don't like how all this Spanish music, like re- reggaeton, which is like yeah. music from Puerto Rico, like because of the rise of Bad Bunny, right. right? And people are like, oh, I can't believe people are into this music. It's so repetitive. It's so loud and so noisy, you know. And 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 in my opinion, it, it is getting a bit overrated when it was underground with like you know the Daddy Yankee and a lot of underground music, uh, especially with Spanish music, was mostly underground. I felt like it was much better, but now it's, it's gone to the mainstream. I feel like it's just it's just gone just way too overrated right now. Yeah, yeah. You know myself, uh, I have. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to uh, save myself and just not mention the band. It's a Canadian band that uh, everybody loves, but. Um, I'm I'm not on the hero bandwagon with them. Um, you could probably guess which one, but uh, yeah, it's their music just never did it for me. Oh, there you go. Uh, good talk. Thank you for being very honest, Ryan. Very honest, Jonathan. And, uh, you know, kind of pulling back the curtain and letting us just kind of share some of our thoughts on music that's out there because it is extremely personal. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 